Welcome to the Your Purpose is Calling podcast, conversations with Christians who are finding purpose, redefining work, and changing their world. I'm your host, Don Sadler. My guest for this episode is Chad Rodriguez. Chad is a married father of three who, with his wife, Emily, planted a church in San Francisco earlier this year. But Chad's path to ministry is an unconventional one. Before becoming a full-time pastor, Chad was on the corporate fast track with a successful career at one of the world's largest ad agencies. In this position, Chad had an influential role working with top executives at some of the world's most successful companies. In this episode, I talked to Chad about how he knew that God was calling him out of corporate life and into full-time ministry. We talk about how having a heart for ministry informed how he worked with clients and co-workers in the corporate world. And Chad offers practical insights about what evangelism in the workplace looks like. You can access the show notes for today's episode, including where to find Chad online at donsadler.com slash 022. The Your Purpose is Calling podcast is brought to you by the Bold Visions Brave Warriors Coaching System, helping Christians create vision, commit to action, and conquer their goals to achieve their God-given calling. Download the free daily planning tool, The Peak Page. This free tool will help you overcome procrastination and create more clarity, more focus, and better results in your day. Download your free copy at donsadler.com slash peak. And now, let's meet Chad. Hi, Chad. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you, Don? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited that you're joining us all the way from the fantastic San Francisco, California. So just to get started, I know some of our listeners uh, know you very well, but for those who have never met you, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, yeah. So yeah, my name is Chad Rodriguez. And as of uh, about a year ago, I have become the um, community pastor for Liberty Church San Francisco. And uh, it's, it's been a really fun ride, but kind of previous to that, I've spent most of my life uh, in the in the corporate space. So I've always been really involved in church and loved church, gave everything I could to church. But um, yeah, most of my career has always been, you know, vocationally geared towards um, non, non-ministry, non-church related stuff. So this is a, uh, yeah, a big step in a, a new direction and a fresh thing for, for me is uh, stepping in, uh, into full-time ministry at the age of uh, soon to be 37, which is kind of crazy. Wow. Wow. And, um, just for context, you are a, um, a father of three very amazing children and a lovely wife, Emily. They are the best. So let's just kind of jump in. Here's the thing about your story that I find so fascinating, so many pieces of it, but this is the part that I really wanted to talk about today. And that is that there's a lot of people that I'm sure you've met them. I've met them who work in the marketplace Mm -hmm. and they say, um, wow, you know, I really feel like I am called to ministry. And I think that sometimes there's a, you know, a conversation around that, that actually we're all called to ministry just because we're in the marketplace doesn't mean that we're not in ministry. Um, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that I think that there's this, um, this perception that whatever struggles we have in the marketplace working for a company 
that if we go into ministry that we won't have any of those. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I think some people, um, you know, maybe they're called to minister to be in ministry right where they are in the marketplace. But in your case, you were actually were called to leave the marketplace and into ministry. So we'll get into that, but just to kind of go back a little bit, tell us about what you were doing before you left to start Liberty church, San Francisco. Yeah. So I was, um, working for, I think they're still the world's largest ad agency. So it's, um, a company called Ogilvy and Mather and uh, really large, uh, ad agency, creative agency. They're actually, you know, history on them is their founder, David Ogilvy is kind of based loosely on the Mad Men characters and things like that. Cause he was kind of one of the original Mad Men. And, you know, we've had these, um, incredible clients throughout the years that we still have had since even when Ogilvy was founded, like Coca-Cola and, um, IBM and, um, American Express, just some really large and really interesting clients, UPS, things like that. And, I was hired uh, about two years ago, a little over two years ago, um, to help build out like a new capability for them. So they are typically known as a creative agency. Um, and the, that world's kind of shifting a lot. So you kind of have like the creative agencies and you kind of have like the strategic agencies. So you have like the Accentures and the BCGs and those kind of, and the Deloitte's of the world. And you've got kind of like the Ogilvy's and the BBDO's and they've always kind of existed in two separate places. But over the last maybe five years, they have been kind of ramping up their, um, various, you know, the chops in the areas that they didn't have. So what you see in a lot of the strategic agencies is they were ramping up a lot of their creative capabilities, like buying out design firms and creative firms and things like that. And on the flip side, the creative teams, the creative agencies were all kind of building out their strategic capabilities that move them beyond just traditional advertising. And so it's kind of been this big kind of war between the big ad and, um, strategy agency. So I was hired to, uh, begin a group called, um, product and service design for Ogilvy and Mather. And that is basically to go into the existing clients and even clients outside of Ogilvy, like we pitch sometimes as well, um, and look at their existing, you know, very obvious products and services and see what was either missing, um, or what wasn't firing the way that it should in order to kind of reach the type of audience that it, that it needed to. And that's not always an advertising thing. And so I think for us, our kind of goal and mandate was to kind of look at the existing products and services and come in in a very non-presumptuous way. So we existed to kind of work with those clients to say, Hey, look, you probably had the right ideas. Let's be honest. You've been doing this for a long time. Like I'm not here to tell you more about how to make a better Coke. You know, I think right. you guys understand that, right. You know, you, you've been making soda. So our function really was to help more so connect the dots. Cause for us, we were like, you probably have the right idea somewhere on the shelf or the right pieces somewhere in the organization, but you just aren't seeing how they fit together. Right. And so my team was made up of designers and, you know, financial folk and, um, you know, analytics people. And basically we could look at the business kind of holistically and go, okay, maybe this product's suffering because it's an organizational problem or because you have, you know, deep it infrastructure issues. And these are some of the things that are holding you up as an organization, not necessarily the, the product itself or whatever it might be, but more so that the, 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 the components between those things that tend to fall off. And so it was a fun job because it allowed us to, to look at a lot of different clients and to really tackle a lot of different problems differently. And, you know, it gave us a good seat at the table with some really kind of high, you know, top tier kind of C-suite kind of clients, because, you know, like most brands, you know, they're all in varying different ways, struggling to maintain their, 
um, their appeal, I guess, you know, would be the, the right word to use um, in, the, in the world today as things are just growing faster and, and moving quicker. And, and some of these guys, you know, even Ogilvy included, we're just big companies, right? So we're just not built for fast. And, um, but the world is moving fast. And so my, my team's job was kind of go in and look at how we can help them move a bit quicker. Uh, and where were just things that were just um, being roadblocks in the way. And then obviously that would turn into hopefully finding something great. And then Ogilvy does what Ogilvy does best, which was talk about it because we're an advertising agency. So let's advertise how awesome we are. Um, so it was a very kind of a, you know, great symbiotic relationship, like the work that I did. And then within the, the traditional Ogilvy kind of, um, framework of a, as a creative agency. So that's a little bit of what I was doing. So that was, uh, you know, the last couple of years and, you know, built a great team and had a great, um, great time doing that, uh, over the course of those few years. So how did you get into that work originally? Uh, so my career has always kind of been varied. So, I mean, I, I, uh, graduated in Florida, um, I got, um, majored in kind of business and international business and, um, um, and started working and just like most people kind of progress and, and my world was very kind of, my world was very analog at first, to be honest. Uh, because you know, I, it feels weird for me to even talk about how old I am now. Um, <laughs> I feel like my, my marketing degree is so useless from when I got it back in like, you know, when I started college in 1999. Right. So right. I think about it now and they're talking about like the four P's back then. I'm like, none of this even is applicable anymore. Like, at all. so, um, <laughs> And, uh, but yeah, so my role just kind of evolved, you know, I think it just evolved as things became more digital and went from kind of understanding the problem at a very analog level. And then as technology ramped up, it, you know, layered into, you know, just the technology and the design side and the, and the product side that just became more of a thing. And, you know, that's allowed me to work with some great startups in the past. Um, it's allowed me to work with some smaller kind of design shops, um, doing the, the work that I was doing at Ovi, but just kind of at a smaller scale, um, working at some more interesting ground up agencies. Like I worked with Vayner media when they first started with Gary Vaynerchuk and which was, you know, the wild west. Um, and, um, yeah. So it was just kind of this evolution of, of roles, you know, I think as the world changed, uh, being able to see those changes and be able to speak to those, those changes, um, articulately and with, you know, a strong point of view, I think. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of been the career, but it's always kind of evolved around the, the product space. And it, I think then it's just kind of evolved into, you know, things that are very hard, you know, hard, good products to more digital things. And so, yeah. I think the thing that so um, all of that is fascinating. I want to talk more about the strategic piece going from that into a church environment. We'll talk about that in a bit. But um, Mm -hmm. for context for our listeners, um, I think it's really worth noting that you were thriving in your role. You were getting, it felt like you were getting promoted every 15 (laughs) minutes. Oh, Chad got another promotion. And so you're, um, even though you were thriving and even though you, um, uh, we're getting promoted and had all of, you know, all of the benefits that go along with a really successful career in sure. that line of work. Um, you have known for a really long time that you are specifically gifted, um, as a pastor, correct? When did you first, when did you first discover that about yourself? I th- so, yeah, I mean, I think that brings up like the great kind of whole point of the conversation is just how to understand, the difference between the two. And if, if you're meant to go one way or the other, I mean, I knew, so I became, I didn't grow up in a Christian household. Um, I was the first person in my family to actually become uh, a believer, a Christian. Uh, and that was, I was around like 16 years old when that happened. Um, and 
you know, it was just a really interesting kind of journey, right? Cause I, I'm, I'm naturally very skeptical. And, um, for me, life is about like, I try to take as many like inputs as possible, you know, cause I'm just always assuming that I'm wrong. So I was like, okay, I'll just take in as much information as possible. Cause probably somebody else has a better idea somewhere. And, uh, and, uh, but I, I knew once I became a believer, I started really kind of like digging into the, just the Bible and the text and what Jesus had to say about, us and what he had called us to. I always knew that one day that would be the, the, I don't know, the, the, the goal, you know, not to sound too businessy, but like that would be the angle that I knew one day I would find myself stepping out into that place to hopefully like minister and love on people the way that I felt ministered and loved to so young. Um, but I think I was also in no rush. Right. So I, you know, being young and being a new Christian and, you know, your life is still very messy and you don't sometimes don't know you're up your way for you down. So I was always very committed to, to just the idea of like, just loving God and figuring it out. Like in my twenties, like I had just no real strong desire to like jump into ministry. And I had a lot of friends that were young and believers and for a long time. And, you know, they started becoming pastors and things like that at a very young age. And I just never felt really any pressure to do that. Um, probably because like, I just understood a little bit like the weight of it used to freak me out, to be honest. I'm like, Ugh, mm-hmm. like <laughs> this isn't just about like being able to talk to people and pump people up and, and, you know, get them on board with the vision, you know, like the, the weight of knowing that like God actually holds me accountable to every person that would walk in or be in my, my church one day or, you know what I mean? That, that yeah. in a right way kind of made me like cautious and in, and in no place, trying to rush God, you know, I was like, okay, God, like, I know this is what you want me to do. Um, but I'm totally fine to go at the pace that you would, you would want. Um, and at the same time, it didn't mean I couldn't do things for God. Right. So this wasn't like I put my, my, my passion to like love on people and, and do well with what I had in my hand, like up on the shelf. Right. So I was always very involved in church and, you know, Liberty church that, you know, just celebrated its seventh birthday. You know, I was a part of that team from the beginning, you know, and just helping build that church while always just doing what I did in the workplace because, you know, it's, it's, I knew that as I built God's house, he built mine. And it was just something that, you know, definitely had its ups and downs and moments where you felt like you didn't, you didn't want to, or you felt the pressure of doing, having to, you know, pulling from two worlds in a way. But yeah, at the end of the day, I just, I was always really um, cognizant of the fact that I was going to step into that. But again, had no real sense of urgency and I could have at different points. There's been times where I've been offered other positions and to staff on churches and things like that. And could have had that and done that, but it just, it just never felt like the right time until, until now. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that was kind of the, I guess the backstory for that. Like I always knew, right. So as opposed to, I think maybe somebody who's wrestling with it, I always kind of knew one day that would be the, the, the goal, the call, the thing that I was, was meant to aim towards. Um, but understanding that God had all the time in the world. And I think that gave me a lot of peace. Cause I think we often, you know, not to you know, get preach or anything, but I think we kind of have to live between the tensions of the fact that like we have a finite amount of time, but because of God, we also have an infinite amount of time, mm. you know? So like, because of God, like there, there is, he, he can give me all the time in the world to accomplish everything that I would need to do. But at the same time, the days are ticking, ticking down. And so like, for me, it's, I've always tried to live in that, that sweet spot, like in the middle where I'm not consumed in either way. Like I'm not consumed with the days that are running out, but I'm not so, so far ahead that I always, all I do is dream about the future. I'm like, okay, what's that kind of tension in the middle where I'm really aware that I've got all the time in the world, but not all the time in the world because of God, you know? Um, 
And I think that's helped me keep a lot of these things in perspective or, or not feel as stressed as maybe I should have been at different points in my life or in my career. Um, just because I knew that, you know, I kind of take it at face value. Like if God says all things are possible, it's kind of like, okay, I'll believe that, you know? And so, um, so I just need to relax sometimes, you know, but yeah, so that was always my thing. I always knew that eventually God would call me to it, but again, was in really no rush to, to just go jumping into a position of, Oh, now Chad's a pastor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's such a good word because there's so many people who, um, you know, they feel like God has called them to something and it feels like they have to go make that happen right away. And, um, and I love, there's a a quote, um, that when God gives you a seed, the next step is not fruit, it's roots. And just like, you know, um, uh, stewarding that. So let's go back for, I'd love to go back, um, to your time at Ogilvy Mather, you knew that this is something that you were called to. You were patient on, uh, about waiting on God's timing. Um, but you knew you had this pastor gift and you were very involved in your church in building mm-hmm. the church. But talk to me about what it looked like in your work day to mm-hmm. have a pastor gifting in mm-hmm. the marketplace. How did, how did you, how did you, how did that inform how you relate to clients, to coworkers, mm-hmm. to everybody that you came into contact with? Yeah. I mean, I think it just, it brought a sense of peace. I feel like most of the world and most of us that are work in professional spaces probably come from, you know, it, it can feel very high stress at times, you know, it just takes one. And honestly, it, you know, we haven't gotten into that yet, but it, sometimes it can't be that dissimilar from church too, where it just takes like the one email, to kind of send the office into like a tailspin or whatever. And, um, you know, like, and, and from, you know, and it's, it's just one of those things that I, uh, I don't know. I just kind of, I had to recognize really early on that it, it just didn't, not in a bad way, but it just didn't matter that much. Right. Like I was there for the people around me at the same time. I just wasn't stressing about the work that I knew I had to do because I knew I could do the work. So like, I know I'm able to do this and so I'm just going to do it. And I think the best thing I can do is not, not what I did necessarily. Um, cause I even remember at one point kind of praying about two different jobs You're like, Oh God, like which one do you want? And I remember God just being really clear, like speaking, saying, dude, they're, they're the same job. Like, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like this was basically, yeah. it was the same role. It was the same type of, you know, it was the same type of, uh, you know, you know, expectations and salary and all that stuff. And I just remember being like, ah, and I was like, I don't care. He's like, I just care how you approach the work, how you approach people, not necessarily what you do, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. something that really, I think shifted my focus for how I did work. Cause it, again, it wasn't about what I did. Like it wasn't about the best, you know, having the best PowerPoint, but it was about, you know, how I walked into the room. If I was, was I walking into the room full of peace? Was I walking into a room, you know, just okay. And, and understanding that the work that I did was the best that I did that I walk into the room knowing that, uh, I, I prepared the team best I could or, um, and then I think it's just trying to help really just other people understand that, you know, it wasn't like I was trying to necessarily even get them to, to understand, you know, Jesus per se, but I think it was just more of, just a sense of peace that you could have in your workplace, which I think looks really different when you come from places that are just full of panic, which I feel yeah. like most, you know what I mean? And so I think that on its own is just a very, a different, it just, it just makes things look different. And people would ask all the time and that would always open the door. Cause it's like, why, you know, you saw the same email I did. Why are you not, you know, 
angry or, yeah, why aren't you freaking out? Why aren't you responding with your really angry, you know, response the way the rest of us did? And, you know, or Chad, didn't you see that they took like our presentation, like, and used it to make their own pitch and they're a different group in the organization. Like, shouldn't we go like burn their building down? I'm like, I mean, mean, we could, you know, that, that is an option, you know, but, um, You know, and, and some people have success with it and it's, it's not a, you know, sometimes I guess it's not a bad strategy, but I just, I don't know. It's just, it's just one of the things that I just had to figure out how to do it differently and understand that it wasn't necessarily about freaking out over every little thing. And it was just about being very, um, I don't know, kind of like a, like an open, it's an old, it's a dated thing now, but you know, I remember them, uh, you know, an, an open Rolodex, you know, like I just didn't want to. I didn't want to work from a place of having to hold everything close, you know, which I think what most people do, I think most people work from a a really, you know, terrified place because they're afraid they're going to lose something or they're afraid every decision they're going to make you know, I I just think people make very fear-based decisions when it comes to their careers. Like, Oh, if I don't do this, I'm afraid I'm going to get fired. Or if I don't do this, I'm afraid I'm going to get right. Versus well, I've tried to really shift my focus is just, Okay. But what if I do it and something good happens? You know, what if I step out? And so for me, it just became that it just came down to a a position of like faith or fear and like, what, where do I choose to make a decision from like from a position of faith or from a position of fear? And the more I got comfortable making kind of faith decisions versus like fear decisions in my work, um, I think the the more I felt God open up my work. And that doesn't mean the faith decisions didn't come with plenty of difficulty, right? Like there was plenty of times where that would just, it, it felt like the wrong decision, you know, cause it's like, okay, this has gotten very hard or difficult. Um, and then especially for the team, like the team that I had to lead and, and, and was trusted to lead and to just distill that same thing to them, you know, um, I guess pastorally as, as a gifting, that was the biggest thing that I learned was to really care for my team. Yeah. Right. Like just to actually check in on them. Cause most people don't like most managers just don't do that. Right. Like most managers aren't really, proactively thinking about at least I've discovered because I've been under a lot of people like they aren't really proactively thinking about your growth or your well-being or you know what I mean just how you're doing in general you know um and I just knew that I would I would make sure I did do that as I got into those positions to have you know have team you know you know going for somebody without you know as you do as you build your career you're on a team and you're part of it and then over time you're able to kind of lead them and uh, I just seeing what I saw, you know, coming up as a, as a young professional, like, okay, this is what it feels like to feel like, you know, no one's looking after you. So I just know when I get to that point, I want to let people know that they're actually cared for, you know, like I want to know that they actually, I'm actually thinking about their career. I can't always give them the right answer, you know, especially when they're like, where's my raise? And I honestly can't like give them a clear answer on it, you know, cause I don't know where my race is at. Right. Or something, you know? Um, and, but I think just understanding that I'm not, wasn't afraid to shy away from the conversations or, press into why they were frustrated or mad, even if they were mad at me, you know, or upset with me. Um, I think it was just, that was the biggest thing that I think helped us do well there in that season that we did. Cause we, we got exposed pretty, pretty largely within the organization. Like our team did, and it's a big organization. There's about 35,000 people that work for it globally, you know? And, um, you know, we got seated at some pretty significant tables, you know, um, to the point where I was, you know, meeting probably every six weeks with just my global CEO who runs the whole company, you know, um, and just kind of sharing like what we're up to, which is, you know, that's a big leap, you know? And so 
but I think it was just because of our, our approach, you know, we, we try to be very much team players and understood that, you know, this is still a big ad agency. And so we're still not the norm here. And so it's not about blowing things up, but being really complimentary and, and then getting our team to understand that too. Right. Cause we had a lot of smart young people that just want to change the world and do great stuff. And, but to be teaching them to be patient with people, right. Cause it's like, how come they don't understand it? How come they don't see it the way we see it? How come they don't, you know, as you do, if you're kind of strategically mind, you know, minded and, to help them just understand, like, look like that's, that, that's actually the harder thing. Like to be good at your job, isn't just to see the right way, but to like help people get there. Yeah. I think that's great. I want to talk in just a few minutes. We're going to talk about sort of that transition from, from the business world to, um, to mystery world. Cause I think there's some, some correlations that are valuable for people, um, in both places. Um, uh, but before we do that, I just want to ask, and you touched on some of these, uh, I just want to spend, a few minutes talking about evangelism in the workplace, because Mm -hmm. I think there's a perception when we talk about people get really intimidated. A lot of people I talk to are very intimidated um, by it, but I think that evangelism, like you touched on excellence, excellence is a form of evangelism. I think Mm -hmm. coming prepared, knowing what you're doing, I think staying, you know, that piece of like you were saying, why is everybody freaking out and uh, accept you? That's a form of evangelism. I think that caring for your team and taking time to stay present in tough conversations, that's a form of evangelism um, mm-hmm. that precedes anything about, you know, come with me to church or anything. Tell me about like what you think evangelism looks like in the workplace. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think you, you nailed it. I don't, you know, I just, Cause I think the, the kingdom of God for me is always built on, um, on doing things, not knowing things. So, you know, I didn't, you know, when people would ask, you know, Chad, why are you so calm after the news that we just got the night before or whatever, you know, my, my response wasn't to give them, you know, five points on why prayer matter. It was just like, I, cause I, you know, when I'm stressed, I, I go and I pray. Like, Oh really? I'm like, yeah. Like I just, uh, you know, I don't, I know how, I don't know how to explain that to you. You know, I don't, I know that sounds weird to you. Like I'm not here to try to give you a, a theological breakdown of why prayer matters. Cause I don't think that matters to you. Uh, but I'm just telling you what I do, you know, cause I think, uh, and, and, you know, I always think of Yoda, you know, he's like, there is no try. There's only do, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I just yeah. think that that's just what for me it became. It was like, I, I don't know how to talk to you about how to have peace other than you have to actually do like, like you have to pray, you know what I mean? Like you need to try it and do it, like do it, like do like prayer, prayer like that. And you might not feel anything differently, but that that's kind of how I think the kingdom works a bit. Like you have to kind of do these things to experience those things. And so, you know, I think for me, that was where it just, I realized that just the simple parts of my testimony, it wasn't about the theology and look, I love a good debate. Like I'm, you know, and I like my work cause I can sit and talk with, you know, somebody from Google who wants to come in and talk to us about their artificial intelligence or something. And I'm like, I can sit there and nerd out on that, you know, but, uh, but I think for me, what I saw was more powerful to somebody was just the doing of something, right? Like Chad, you seem to be really peaceful and you told me that you pray I'm going to, I'm going to try that too and see how I feel or Chad, like I'm coming to you because, you know, I know that you pray and my marriage is feeling a little rocky. I don't know how to pray. So can you pray for my marriage? You know, um, which are all things that happen, you know, like while at work. And I think it's, 
you know, it wasn't anything that was like, Hey, like, can I tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Like, I wasn't, you know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't that, you know, I just think it, it had to just be different and it had to be something that I had to trust God would speak to that person about, right? Like as I just shared my testimony and I think that's what the scripture makes clear. Like just, you know, people are set free by like the, the word of our testimony, not the, not the, the understanding of our knowledge. And so I think most people are terrified of workplace, you know, it sounds weird to say, but like workplace evangelism, cause they're like, I have to know so much. It's like, no, you yeah. don't, you don't have to know anything. Yeah. Like you just need to have an active relationship with God where you understand that like your prayer and your, your willingness to seek God above your own, your, you know, for the things that he wants versus things that you want kind of outweigh everything else. And so then you just didn't talk about it. You know, I remember one guy who came up to me was just, was nervous about it. And I was like nervous to talking about church. I was like, look, I was like, I'm happy for you to tell me everything about your weekend. Right. Like I'm not uncomfortable by that. You could tell me about everything you did. That was like, and this dude was like out partying crazy guy. Like, you know, lots of wild things. I was like, you're not going to bother me with that. All I'm asking is that you're okay with me talking to you about my weekend. Like, right. It's just, it's, and that was just always how I approached everything was look like I, I, I'm down to, cause everything, the world's all about kind of trying to try things. Right. And so it's like, you're, that's what you're trying. I'm telling you what I'm doing and let the fruit settle, you know, let the fruit decide for itself, you know? Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, and so I think that was just always my approach was to not, I didn't need to be pushy. I just needed to, re- how I responded to things were just as much as, were, were just as much evangelistic as to maybe even what I'd say, you know, cause again, I didn't want to get into the weeds of, of theology with people that don't even know who God is. Like they don't care. You know what I mean? Like they don't know yeah. the Trinity doesn't matter to somebody right at, at yep. the time of, because that still feels that this still feels like illogical to them. But what could be really impactful for them is to say like, okay, Chad, I'll, I'll, I'm going to go home and just, I'll, I'll pray. I don't know. I'll say, dear God, help me today or something, you know, and for them to come back and, and many times have people come back and be like, dude, I don't understand. But like I did that and I've never felt more at peace in my life. And be like, that's awesome. You know? And then I think that stuff becomes addicting. Right. Yeah. For me, yeah. that's what it's always about. I'm like, well, I think once you experience the peace of God, it's so addicting that you just don't, nothing is worth losing it. At least for yeah. me. Like I just, yeah. there's nothing worth my, there's nothing worth my peace. I'm like, Ooh, like I, I know what it's like to feel anxious and to be full of anxiety. And like, I just don't want to be there. I don't want to live in that place. It's, it's terrible, you know? Uh, so I think that's what people need to see for themselves. And I think that's the evangelism of it. The just, and just encouraging people. Like I remember one of the biggest, you know, the biggest reasons for one of my career progressions was just because of a, a simply a kind word that I spoke over a very senior person in the company. Mm. that everybody was terrified of that everybody told me they were going to, you know, make my life harder. And they're like, well, they're not going to like you and what you guys are doing. That's going to bump up against them. And And I'm like, okay, you know, and, and I met him and yeah, they were a hard person you could tell. But, and I just remember, you know, kind of praying before that meeting and and God's saying really clearly, he's like, they're hard because they actually really love it. Like they actually like Mm. the work and they have, they're frustrated that other people don't care as much as they do. It's not that they're like mean or rough. And I remember just after, after meeting and they were being, you know, being their kind of stronger self and I'm sitting there kind of listening and, and I just remember responding. I was like, you know, I can really tell that you love this. Like, it's really obvious that you love this work. And the person just like, like their whole face changed and they were like, yeah, I do. 
it's like, and they're like, I don't know why nobody else sees that. <laughs> I'm like, well, it's because you're, you're so, you're so aggressive. It's like scares you're everybody, so but yeah, you're so mean. <laughs> like, you know, it's, the delivery is so rough that, you know, you know, people cry. Uh, but I just feel like I can tell that you really care about this and that's why you're, you know, you, 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 you feel the way you do about it. And like, yeah, I do. I've been doing this a long time. Like I love it. And you know, like that, that simple thing, like that person opened up a lot of doors for us, you know? Um, you know, even to the point where I got to do like really, you know, I got to go and present to, you know, all the, the, the CEOs and of the company, you know, on just some, some aspects of our business and things. And, you know, but I think it was because of, I'm like, it was just a simple word that I said, you know, and, uh, that God had given you. Yeah. That I was just praying about like going into this meeting where everybody's like, you should be afraid. You should be afraid. You should be afraid. You should be afraid. And I'm like, okay, like I'm going to, I'm going to have faith. I'm going to have faith. I'm going to have faith. And so I was just like, okay, God, like how can I just not weather this conversation, but how can I bring life to this conversation? I guess, you know, and I don't always do that. Right. I don't, I can't, I don't feel like, you know, these are just kind of the highlight reels. You know, there's, there's plenty yeah, of, yeah. there's plenty of losses. We can, there's a whole separate conversation on that too. Probably we could just talk about all the, the losses that you take, um, from stepping out and being kind and it, you don't really feel like you see anything in return or when you're not kind because there's days where, you know, you do bite back or fight back, you know, um, yeah. and dealing with the, I think, it, I think it's good. I think it, um, and I was thinking about this earlier when you were talking as well as, um, I have a corporate background and, and I think especially in the field that you were in, where there's so many people who would give anything to have that role that you had, that there is a lot, there can be a lot of fear. And I think that it's the difference between, okay, am I going to fear man believing that my destiny and my future and my ability to feed my family is in the hands of this boss? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to trust God and know that as long as, am I more afraid of something that displeases God than something that displeases my boss and mm-hmm. having that balance? Do you think that that was a, a factor as well? Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, yeah, I think, I don't know my, Emily and I talk about it all the time and, I think even, you know, moving, you know, moving to New York and, you know, you know, our friendship continuing there and then getting married and starting a family and career and all that stuff kept going in New York. And I think we often had to, uh, settle in our hearts, you know, cause all those things at times can be panic inducing to go from one kid in New York city to, to two to three, you know, you know, every day people would just be like, I don't know how, why you do that, you know? Um, yeah. And even now in San Francisco, people are like, what? You have three kids in SF. You know, I was like, why, why aren't you guys in Marin County? And I'm like, cause I don't, I don't know. I don't want to live in the suburbs. Um, and, uh, and, uh, but I think we had to really just like, Em and I had to get good at just being at peace with, um, the outcomes of our lives, you know? Cause I think, I often think we kind of, again, it's a fear thing where I just think we assume that something really bad's going to happen. And I think Em and I were just like, what the worst case that can happen to us in New York is that everything about what we've tried to do in New York or that we felt called to do in New York falls apart, right? Like, you know, the church falls apart, work falls apart, everything falls apart. And we're just kind of now there and don't know what to do. But like, it, nothing really, you know, like there are like, it's not the best, but it's not like this terrible, you know what I mean? Like, what's the worst that can happen is that we have to go back to North Carolina, maybe where my mom's at and kind of get our focus again and figure out what's next or, you know? And so I think we had to put everything in, into the context of that. It's like really what, 
what, what was really the worst that could happen by taking risks for God? You know, mm-hmm. maybe I, maybe I'm a little embarrassed, but I think that's the thing. Like most of us, like if we take a risk, like the worst case scenario for all of us is that we're like embarrassed that what we stepped out in didn't work. But really, is that really like, and I'm just, I, I just look at that and go, that's, that's enough to deter you, you know, like your embarrassment, you know, yeah. um, seems like a small thing to pay for to, to try something great, you know? Um, yeah. and, uh, so that's just kind of how we had to settle that in our heart a long time ago. It's just like that, that spirit of let's just keep risking for God, you know? And like, what's the worst that can happen? You know, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, you might. And it's true. Like there might be some genuinely not good things that happen. Like you could you know, damage some relationships or think like that is true. You know, and there are, and there are consequences to that. But I think in the context of God, if, if you're doing it right and you're honoring well, you know, then those things will also find their place and find their healing over time too. Right. Because we're not, we're not perfect. And so I think that was, that was the big thing for, and I know, you know, in regards to your question, like for Em and I was just getting settled in, into that mindset of well, what's the worst that can happen by taking a risk, you know, and maybe sometimes that does cost you your job. You know, you take a risk and it costs you your job, you know, yeah. um, or it costs you, you know, the career path that you thought you're on, you know, but I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I, maybe it's just me, but I'm just kind of like, who cares? Like there's always work. If you know what you're doing, yeah. <laughs> if you're actually good at what you do, there's always work and there's always money. That's how yeah. I feel. And I've had seasons where I've had lots of money and seasons where I don't have any money. And I'm just like, yeah, but you know, it's always there, you know? Um, if you just want to obsess over it, you can get it, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I think we just stopped obsessing over it. Yeah. I want to, um, I want to spend our remaining time about, um, talking about something that, I'm just personally really excited about, about you being in San Francisco. Just a little bit of backstory that you know that our, our listeners may not know. I actually lived in San Francisco and I went to a church um, there that I loved and I loved all the pastors, but there was one pastor in particular that I really, really respected because he had come out of a, a long-term career in corporate. Mm-hmm. And I felt that's a guy who understands the challenges that I go through. Not that the other pastors didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I loved all the pastors. They were phenomenal. But there was something very unique to me about someone who had been through corporate life. I just felt like that was someone who could really understand the stresses in a, you know, in a much different way and whether or not that's fair, that was my perception. Mm -hmm. And so you're now in San Francisco. I know you've got a lot of people who work in Silicon Valley who live in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just, um, I'm curious about how you think that your background informs, um, your ability to serve people in the community. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, just in our, you know, six weeks since the church has started. I mean, it's, uh, it, and even, you know, obviously prior to that, you know, um, it'll be your April 1st. And, uh, yeah, I think it, it's been a big part of what has drawn certain people to us, you know? Um, yeah. you know, and, and, and yeah, cause I think, I don't know. I just think there's, I mean, because there's a lot of, there's all, there's a lot of bad assumptions about church, right? Like I think, yeah. uh, and like what being in, in ministry does, you know, I think, and maybe some of them are true. Like I often feel like when people have like a perception of something, it's because it's not entirely incorrect. Right. Um, yeah. you know, but 
yeah. So I think that's been helpful because, you know, I mean, I know even I, when I was in the work world for a long time and, you know, being exposed to a lot of churches and, you know, like, I'm like, I know what my day looks like, but like, what is, what does your day look like? You know, someone pastor of a church, like, what, what are you doing all day? Like, I know what I do all day, you know? And then it almost feels a little, almost can feel a little envious at times. Cause you know, you can hear somebody say like, well, I'm, you know, like I got to spend an hour, two hours praying today for everybody. And you're like, oh, that's cool. I'm like, wish I could do that, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, um, and I think that, but that's just more challenges of the heart, you know, and, and how it looks different. And, um, but I do think for us, you know, being able to be people that wrestle with the things that have and, and rest and have wrestled with the things that the people that come to our, the church now wrestle with, it's definitely helpful to be able to speak to it. Like, look, I get it. Like, I know what it's like to make a lot of money and, you know, and feel the, the push of God saying like, keep that 10% up, you know? Yeah. You know, when you look at those checks and I go, I could, I could do a lot of other things with this, you know, like <laughs> there's a lot else that, you know, these thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that we've given, you know, like could be pr- tactically tangibly doing, you know, and even selfishly yeah. doing, you know what I mean? Like I'm obsessed with like sneakers, you know, those that know me know that those that don't, <laughs> you know, like I have a ton of sneakers, you know, and every, you know, there's things like that. I'm like tactically that, that could equate to like so many more shoes and just personally make me very happy. Um, but have, <laughs> have no real impact other than my own stupid ego. So, but it, so I think that it is helpful cause I think it, it you know, we, I, we just get it, you know, I think yeah. we understand that it's difficult we, and, I, and I understand the tension of also trying to serve church. You know, I think the difference is trying to make that easy for people, you know, um, yeah. cause you're like, Oh, my job, my life, da, da, da. but yet they want their careers to flourish and they want to be close to God. It's like, well, you have to find space to do it. You have to find space to build the kingdom of God, you know, and be a part of a, a faith community, not just in your work, but like outside of your work, you need a faith community to really sow into, to give some time, some type of your time, some type of your talent, some type of your treasure, you know, like you have to be able to do something, um, because it's just economical for God, right? Like I always think God has these economies that function, right? And, and if we unplug ourselves from them, they can kind of throw us off, you know, not that God can't still move or that God can't still do something, but I think you remove more opportunities, right? Like you look at scripture and it's like, yeah, like God met with you alone. God met with you in a small group. God met with a whole bunch of people, right? So what does that tell me is that all three of those avenues present unique ways for God to move and speak to you. Right. And so what I think the biggest downside of what people's view of church or think how that works out is like they pick one, like, Oh, I hate gathering on a Sunday, I think that's a stupid thing. So I'm just going to go sit by myself in, the, in my room and pray like, great, God can speak to you there. But he also does something really unique with a large group of people, you know, just as much as the person is like, I love going to the conferences or going to Sundays, but they have no kind of personal prayer. I was like, you're just missing a whole another facet of how God speaks. Yeah. And so these things to me, so- yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I know. I think everything that you're saying is, is so true. And one of the recurring themes on this podcast, I've really been blown away that, you know, speaking about God's economies, what people have gotten back from serving in their church mm-hmm. is like a hundred, a thousand fold what mm-hmm. they, yeah. what they put. I don't know why that works, but time and yeah. time and time again, people say I served and it changed everything. Yeah. For me. It opened kinds of doors that they, they never would have had opened any other way. And I, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't 
I, I think I thought differently about this, about that before doing this podcast, but it is mm-hmm. so consistently true. Mm-hmm. And I think this is hard because it's one of those things that you can't really explain to people other than when they start to do it. Yeah. Right. Like it's one of those yeah. like do things, you know, there is no, tr- you have to do it. Like you have to just yeah. make space. And I get that that's hard. I get that it's got to make you quite, you know, have to make some sacrifices in certain areas. And, and, you know, so I always, I love the conversation with like, you know, the young professional 20 something that would be like, Oh, my life is so full. And I, and kind of, you know, sarcastically, I bet really like, let's talk about that as I, you know, run a team, have a wife with three kids, do stuff for church. Like, let's talk about how like busy you are. Let's, let's go ahead and compare those. You know, like it was hard for me not to do that sometimes. I'm like, really, are you that busy? Are you? And, um, but I think it's just, it's just that prioritization of like, I have to really know that if I build this house and there's no other way to, to know other than when you do it. And then when you meet people that are doing it, you're like, Ugh, like, why is God? And that you, that's the outlier, right? Like that's the, the, or the denominator is that they're saying like, look, I, I, I'm finding time even in the midst of my fullness to, to be really intentionally involved in this community because it's, yeah. it's economic it's, for God. It's, it's an economy for God, right? Like it unlocks those things. And people just think it's about you trying to get your butt in a seat. And I'm like, it's not like, it's actually like tied to your ability to thrive. You know, yeah. I wish I, that's the one thing that I really wish I could impress upon people like that. T- please just take that step of faith. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm not on staff at any church. I don't get a toaster. If you start, right. I'm just saying that for your benefit, take that, take that t- step of faith and serve and, what will open up for you is incredible. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You got to do it. You just like, look, yeah. and I'm, I'm all for the argument afterwards, but that's my only thing. It's like, look, do it, like do it with a good heart, like really get into it and try it for three to six months. And if you think it's all nonsense afterwards, let's talk about it. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, absolutely. I, I, but I'm like, you got to put it to the test. Like, cause you're, yeah. you're asking me how I'm experiencing the things that I am. I'm just telling you what I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah. Not, you know what I mean? I'm yeah. just telling you what, <laughs> you know, so you got to just do that too. Like, and I'm not, you know, I don't know what else to tell you. And so, um, but no, yeah, I, yeah, just gotta, yeah. Gotta jump in. So great. Hey, uh, so unfortunately we need to, um, we need to land this plane a little bit, mm-hmm. but I have so enjoyed this conversation. Um, and, um, I know that, I know that a lot of our listeners are, are feeling very inspired right now. And, um, and thank you for, thank you for sharing thank you. your wisdom and your experience. It was fun. With us. Yeah. So I want to wrap up with what we call the final five, five mm-hmm. questions designed to resource our listeners. So other than the Bible, what's one book that changed your life and why? Um, I actually just reread it uh, the other day. It's, it's actually, um, C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters mm-hmm. only because like, I'm a, I'm a big perspective person. So, and I just love that he wrote a, a book kind of on hell's perspective of us and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and I just, I just found that so interesting because everything about the language tweaks, right? Like God's referred to as the enemy, the whole time in the book when normally you read about it in the Bible, the enemy is always, you know, Satan or whatever. So I, and I just, so I just love a different point of view. Um, and I just find there's just, there's so many little gems in that book that I always find myself coming back to about, you know, the way, you know, uh, you know, like kind of like whatever the devil, like the kind of sees us and kind of wants to distract us. Um, and, uh, yeah, I always found myself getting refreshed by that book by going, Oh, like I need to find things that just bring me joy. Cause that's one of the biggest things they're trying to steal constantly. is just joy. And, you know, I underestimate how powerful that is or whatever. And so anyways, that's a book that I always, I always find myself 
coming back to that's just a great read and always just kind of encourages me. Great. What um, podcast are you listening to now and why? Uh, so probably the most popular ones I listen to, the ones that are always in my rotation would be 99 Invisible, um, just because I think they're the, the stories that they tell through it and just kind of the, the, the you know, it's very design driven, which I love. And um, it just unpacks that stuff really well. Uh, stories behind some really just incredible just moments in design history. Um, I love, uh, there's a, uh, a podcast called revolutions and it, it's, it's historical. So it just goes through like all the different revolutions throughout history and kind of just pulls them apart. Um, which I think is just cool because it just shows kind of all the tensions in life and the world and what's going on. And, you know, sometimes I think it's, it's also helpful to know that, you know, maybe the season of life that we're in is not really unique. You know, you're like, Oh wow. Like things are even crazy you know, a hundred years ago, you know? Um, right. and, uh, and then, yeah, obviously the, the liturgist is a really fun one that I like. Um, intercepted is another one that I like to read that they're just like kind of news based stuff. Um, yeah. So I think those are probably like the ones that most heavily sit in my rotation. The Freakonomics one is rad. I always love the Freakonomic ones. I don't listen to it that much, but, um, yeah, those are kind of the, my main kind of five or six. I always feel like somewhere in my rotation i don't listen to a ton of like churchy podcasts i guess that's a weird i don't know Maybe. you do or you don't i don't yeah yeah there's so many good podcasts out there um churchy and non-churchy so yeah. we will include show notes to everything that you mentioned uh we'll include links in the show notes cool. for everything that you mentioned so our listeners can find those easily um what's your favorite bible verse and why uh, that's actually Deuteronomy 30. So it's kind of like a passage of verses like Deuteronomy 30, 11, um, through 16. It's probably the, one of the most read ones. I don't know. Do you want me to read it real quickly or, um, yeah, sure. Okay. I just, I, I've just always found myself coming back to it. So it's basically being presented. I'll just read it. Uh, it says for this commandment that I command to you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Oh, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go to the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Right. Um, mm. and that's Deuteronomy, you know, 30, 11 to 14, not 17. Sorry. And I, I just find that such to be an encouraging thing. So often just for me, I always feel like we put so much perceived distance between us and God that we're like, Oh, like who's going to go? Like I need like, or I need somebody to go and get this thing for me or it's so far away or just everything feels just, I don't know. We just create all this perceived distance. And yet I love that God's like, no, 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 no. Like it's actually very near to you. It's in your mouth and it's already in your heart so that you can do it. You know, I and I love that it just like closes that gap. And so, so many times I come back and I'm like, okay, I need to stop freaking out. It's actually right there. I actually know what I need. I actually know what I need to do. I know what I need to yeah. do. If I spend two minutes yeah. pushing past the nonsense, I know what I need to do. So, um, yeah. What's the best business advice you ever heard? Oh, I think, uh, I remember somebody said, you know, being really good at being really good creative, uh, being a good creative and, you know, being good with strategy, whatever it is. Um, they, they told me that like the best creatives, the best thinkers are really comfortable with constraints. Hmm. 
because um, you know th- their argument being that you know anybody can do something crazy when they have like all the white space in the world, but really good creativity, innovation, whatever comes with a lot of constraint. And, um, so I always have tried to take that on board and look at the constraints I'm like, okay, these things feel like barriers, but they're actually just a way to help me be really creative. Um, so yeah. What advice would you give to someone who is in the workplace right now and is just really in a tough situation? Um, doesn't kind of know what to do. What, what encouragement would you give to them? Uh, honestly, I would say dig in, you know, I would say that don't, I feel like that usually comes from a place of obsessing with the future and a lot of times Mm -hmm. and you get so obsessed with it that you just can't appreciate what's right in front of you. Um, and so I usually say, look, like before you feel like you quit or do something, I was like, you just try digging into the work, like try giving it your all, like, and doing it in a place where you're, you know, you're spending time with God, obviously, like all this has to be coming from a place of actually pursuing a relationship with God, I think in order to help you be sustained. But I think for those people that just are lacking clarity and vision about what's next, it's usually because, I don't know, I, I feel like it's because sometimes the thing he told you ages ago is still true today, you know, mm. and like quit trying to find something new because where you are is actually still where he wants you. And, you know, I think if you nail that, if you nail doing your day, well, he'll reveal the tomorrow, you know, but I think we just don't want to really worry about doing today. Well, sometimes, um, and I've been there and, and I've felt that where I'm like, I just don't feel like I know what's coming is because I've just forsaken what's right here in front of me today. Um, so that would be what I would say to, to encourage somebody just to, to go deeper, like to find the joy in the day. Um, and I've become obsessed with the, the idea of joy over the last probably like six, seven months. Um, I've always like believed in it, but you know, I think God's always trying to really get us to understand how powerful it can be. So I would say, try to find that joy again in what you're doing. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. I just got goosebumps. Hey, um, do you mind just taking a moment and praying over our listeners? Um, just a word of encouragement before we wrap this up. Yeah, for sure. So God, we just, um, we thank you so much, God. I thank you for everyone that would, uh, you know, choose to listen to this father. And, uh, I, I pray more than anything else that as they listen, God, that they'll just get a sense and understanding that their worth and their value is not tied in, in the work that they do. God, I thank you that there is work to be done and there is good things to be done in our work, but I pray how they do the work, God, how they treat their coworker, how they treat their, their boss, God, how they, they think of themselves in their workplaces. God matters more than what the position or the title would ever be father. And so I pray as they're, as they're listening and as they're wrestling, God, I pray that you are just, messing with their heads and in their hearts, Father God, that where they think that there's not time, God, that you reveal how there can be time, God. I pray that if they, they love their work world, if they love being in, in the workplace, God, like let them go deep in it, God. Let them not feel ashamed, Father God, that they're not, um, in, in, you know, doing church, God. But if they feel called to church, God, help them understand how to, how to cross over. But God, but in the middle of all that, God, let us know that we can do our work, but still be really tied into our community. Father God, still be tied into, to the churches that we call home father and, and still doing something, God, still bringing something to the dinner table. God, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't always have to be the most visible thing, father God. But as we build the house of God, Lord, that will, that you'll build ours, father. And so I just speak life over where everyone is at God, that you'll just, um, 
yeah, you'll just bring a sense of peace, Father God. And I think that that's what they should be pursuing, God, that they'll be pursuing the peace and the joy of God, because that is a thing that no matter where they find themselves vocationally, God, will sustain them and prosper them, Father God, if they're doing it from a place of peace and joy. And whether it's it's professional or it's ministry, God, from a, from a vocational standpoint, God, I thank you that it is that peace and joy, God. But at the end of the day, that they would know um, that it is possible to kind of do it all. <laughs> Sometimes it's not just a this or a this. It is possible to do the work that you love and love the God that's for us and serve the people that are around us. And, um, and so, yeah, we just thank you for them in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Chad, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Don. It was so much fun. I'd like to thank my guest, Chad Rodriguez, for joining me today. Just a reminder that you can access the show notes for today's episode at donsadler.com slash 022. If you'd like to hear more conversations with Christians who are finding purpose, redefining work, and changing their world, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. This show is brought to you by the Bold Visions Brave Warriors Coaching System, helping Christians create vision, commit to action, and conquer their goals to achieve their God-given calling. Download our free daily planning tool, The Peak Page, at dawnsadler.com slash peak. This has been the Your Purpose is Calling podcast. I'm your host, Don Sadler. Thanks for listening.